Hi, everybody. This is Mike Paterno, and I want to welcome you to Mostly Unseen with Jeff Boucher. We're happy to have you here today. Jeff is the pastor of Mill Pond Church. I want to let you know that any of these segments from our podcast will be accessible through our website at millpondchurchny.com. We have a great topic for you today. With me, as always, is our host, Pastor Jeff Boucher. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Good to be here again, and uh, very excited to... Uh, to do this uh, podcast indeed indeed i don't mean to upstage it for a second but uh there's you know been something that's been happening especially i find over the last few weeks as i uh i often talk to people about jesus and who he is and things like that and it seems to be there's a common misunderstanding about who he is um and as christians why is he so central to our faith and they don't understand the Bible, so many things about it, nor who he is. And you know what? I, I thought that would be a great topic for us to really work through a little bit today to explain that to people and why he's so central to our faith. I think that's uh, an excellent topic. I don't think it's talked about often enough. Um, and I think there are a lot of misunderstandings um, in the society generally, but even within the Christian world and, you know, people that you know attend church and and so forth so yeah i think that's a great thing and whenever i look at um or talk about jesus you know i have you know a lot of go-to passages to help people understand but it's interesting years ago when i was doing youth ministry and i did youth ministry for many many years i would get that question from kids a lot of times you know why jesus what's important about you know about Jesus and, and so forth. And I would always try to demythologize for people, right? So here's one of the things I would do. We'll maybe do this a little bit with us, but, you know, I would have people close their eyes. And as they close their eyes, I would say, I want you to, and by the way, when we think of things or even in conversation, we don't realize this is going on, but we make thousands upon thousands of mental pictures every day based on our conversations and our thoughts. And we don't even realize we're thinking these things. Like if I were to say to you, Mike, you know, what do you think of when you think of an airport, you know, and maybe you, you go to a normal airport, mm -hmm. maybe it's Stewart airport or Newark airport or LaGuardia or JFK airport in New York, whatever, you know, we're, we have access to all these airports, you know, right away without even knowing you made a mental picture. And so do I, those mental pictures aren't always the same. So you, you, for instance, what do you picture when I say, you know, <laughs> LaGuardia, <laughs> you picture LaGuardia and what is it in LaGuardia that you picture? Frustration. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, when you, I say, hey, the, the, the terminals, today. different, you know, the entrance and exit ramps, long-term, short-term parking, the planes on the tarmacs. Right. It, it's all those things. Normally you'll come up with a picture or two right away. Somebody will come up with the control tower. Somebody will come up with planes taking off. Mm. Uh, others with planes landing, others with boarding a plane, others with waiting at the ticket counter, um, and on and on and on. The same thing happens in, in anything we we talk about, right? It's, you know, we think of our, you know, we think of people we know, we think of um, places we go to, and you conjure a picture in your mind. So it's no different with Jesus. So I would have people close their, their eyes, and I would say to them, I want you to picture Jesus. And I said, don't say anything out loud. I'm going to ask you a number of, of questions. And I want you to, so I'll, do, I'll run through it, even though I take a lot longer to do this. 
but just for our sake on the podcast so people understand. And you can do this if you're listening. So if you close your eyes and you think, I want you to picture Jesus. What does he look like? What color is his hair? How tall is he? And I give time between each thing. I'll say, now think about his build. What is he like? What does he look like? What are his hands like? What are, you know, what clothing is he wearing? What does he sound like when he speaks? What color are his eyes? What color is his skin? Um, you know, when he spoke to people, you know, was he mild mannered? Was he, you know, strong? Was you know, what was he? And and naturally, we all have different sides to us. But generally, if the apostles thought of Jesus, what would they think of? And so I want us to try and get that picture. What what would they think of? Who would they think of? What would he, he be like? Um, you know, what, what kind of shape was he in? Mm. Um, you know, how did he address people? What were his likes and dislikes? Did he have humor? You know, people think, God having humor, that's crazy it's almost like you know sacrilegious or something you know and um but think about this because he was fully human so after they i go through all of this i then start asking the questions and i say all right what did jesus look like what color was his hair and i would get blonde you know brown light brown dark brown very few people ever say black um you know, was it long or short? Oh, it was definitely long hair. And what was he like personality-wise? Oh, he was chill. He, he just kicked back. He just, you know, really, you know. Hippie type. Yeah, what was his personality <laughs> like? Oh, gentle, loving, um, you know, on and on. Then I said, what was he wearing? Oh, a white robe. Okay. What color was his eye? Blue. Or then you get green, sparkling green. Somebody say brown. Um, and again, very few would say black. Um, okay. Um, what do you think? What was his physique? You know, kind of like just very like lean or thin. Um, okay. And was he muscular? Uh, not so much. Just kind of, you know, average. How tall was he? Oh, six foot. You know, okay. Some would say 5'10", 5'11", 5'9", 5'8", 6'5". You know, you get everything on, on that one. Um, you know, and you just, okay. And um, what else? What, what were his hands like? What was his, you know, what, what color was his skin? He was white. Okay. Oh, he was really dark. Okay. Um, he was like olive. He was, okay. So right away, and I would have, my youth group had, you know, depending on when it was and different times and different years, but, you know, it had as many as 180 kids sitting in an audience or it had as few as 30. And, uh, or even less than that when I, you know, at times. So I would, I would then say, okay, let me give you the picture that we can get from culture, from genetics, from Middle Eastern understanding and, and looks and things. And we'll just whip through them quick. Jesus could have had a white robe on, uh, could have been brown, uh, could have been, you know, one or the other or something different. Um, he definitely had hair that was longer than shorter, um, you know, probably collar length and below, right? 
his skin would have been olive, most likely, in, in color. And in the warmer months, of course, you know, you get a little darker. And uh, his eyes would most likely have been uh, a brown to a deep brown to even black. Um, you know, he would have been uh, very strong. He was a carpenter by trade, which also included, in many cases, stonework. Mm. So, he, you know, he would walk miles. And so he was no, you know, he was, he was, he had some strength to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably somewhat muscular, not, not a bodybuilder type, but certainly, uh, you know, strong. And, um, you know, when you think of him, did he have humor? Yeah, he would laugh. He would have joy. He would be angry. And people go, angry? What do you mean? Yeah, we're going to see that in the verses I want to show you. Um, you know, because I think I, some of my go-to verses, I, I think they shock people. And, um, you know, and I'd say, okay, you know, when you think of this, you know, what color was his hair? You know, blonde to, to dark, whatever. Most likely brown, dark brown, um, you know, in that way. Uh, what was his height? Well, it could have been just average. It could have been 5'8". Could have been five ten, probably not six foot. Won't rule it out, but chances are he wasn't. And the prophet Isaiah, when he prophesied of Messiah coming, he said he was average. I'm, I'm putting our words on, but he was nothing to look at, so to speak. He was, you know, nothing that we should desire him um, in that way. You know, as far as what he what he appeared like, and. Uh, you know, but very strong in, in, in voice. And why do I know that? Because he could stand by a seaside and, and preach. And when you stood by the Sea of Galilee, it wasn't a roaring ocean, but it had the sounds of the, the winds and, the, and the, the birds and the water. And, you know, it could be rough and tumble a little bit. And so he also could speak to a crowd of thousands. Well, you can't do that unless yeah. you can project and you'd have a strong voice um just as an aside um james madison as we know as the father of our constitution here in uh in the u.s his uh first desire was to be in ministry and that's you know he went to princeton hmm. and he, he wanted to you know get his degrees in theology and go into ministry but what disqualified him is he was very uh, his body was very he was five foot four i think he was 130 yeah, not, pounds, a, not, a, not a robust guy and could not project so that disqualified him from the public ministry so he went to his second best thought which was to do you know statesmanship or politics and you know be a person of the community that way um, but James Madison was a very strong Christian. And, um, you know, talk about him another day. But looking at this, you say, okay, so Jesus had to be able to carry the tune. He was a leader. Well, how do you define a leader? If you have followers, you're a leader. So he had followers. And, you know, there are many things that define a leader. But the number one thing is, does anybody follow you? Mm. And that kind of sets the tone. So he had followers. In fact, today he's got over a billion of them so when you think about that that's pretty impressive so but i want to let's let's jump to the go-to 
verses that I I might use. And um, you know, I think when, whenever I want to talk to somebody about who Jesus is, I take them through the first four chapters of John. There's plenty of other passages, but I'm gonna and we can go into depth in each of these chapters, but I'm gonna give you the overview of what it might look like or uh, what it might be. And when we when we think through this, um, I jump right to chapter one. And when we look at chapter one, this is John the Apostle writing. John was a fisherman by trade. He was also one of those, you know, hands-on people. Um, probably pretty strong. These guys fished with mm-hmm. nets yeah. that they did by hand. Not the trawlers that we know today that do everything by hydraulics. You're pulling up nets between two boats and you're, you're pulling them up. So he was, you know, a man's man, so to speak, right? So when he wrote about Jesus years later, so this was written years after Jesus died, rose, and ascended to heaven. And John was now preaching the gospel. John, they tried to kill John at one point. He didn't die. They banished him to Patmos, which is where he wrote the book of Revelation from. And here's what John writes to the, to the world about Jesus. And I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll read the first part of John chapter 1. And um, I'll just pick up using the New International Version. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, or some versions read, did not comprehend it. Now, just looking at those four verses, or um, five verses, when we look at this, he brings us back to the beginning. Now, John writes his gospel, and he starts it off with what words? In In the the beginning. beginning. What other book starts that way? Genesis. Genesis does. What feature, what factor's big in the first couple of chapters of Genesis? Creation. And how was the world created? By the word. By the word. God spoke, right? Each day, it says, God said, let there be, and it was so. And it was good. Mm. God said, let there be this. Let there be animals. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse in the heavens. Let there, you know, the expanse separate the waters above from the waters below. And each day he would do this. Each, so the power of God's word was unbelievable. Now, it says, in the beginning was the word. Okay, I get it. The word was with God. I get that too. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And you say, wow, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh. What word? The word from verses 1 through 3. That word became flesh. The very words that caused the creation to come into existence. Now, God didn't create from something. This has baffled scientists for years. Even today, science will tell you there had to be, like, when we think of the Big Bang, Mm -hmm. 
people go, oh, no, we're Christians. God created. Yeah, that's fine. But the Big Bang is actually biblical because, you know, science knows that there was a beginning because the Big Bang is a beginning for them. Mm-hmm. We don't know when it was, how far back it was, all that went into it. But we know from science itself that there was a beginning. We could talk about that another day. So they know there's a beginning. They can't figure out, is there a God? Well, I don't know. I don't want to say there's God, but we know as Christians, you know, there's an uncaused cause, right? The law of cause and effect tells us that every effect has a cause. But what was the first cause? What was that? Well, Christian, for us, it's easy. It was God. Of course it was. So he says this this word the power that created everything physical that we see it was created from nothing okay so god didn't reshape energy energy is something energy is matter mm-hmm. he didn't reshape that he created that he created from nothing and when we look at that it says that that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory his appearance his presence the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So even in the very beginning, in fact, in Genesis, when God was creating, it says there, let us make man in our image. What does that mean? So Right. Yeah, it's a plural. Right. People would say, what? Right. Well, we have the triune God, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Again, a discussion for another day, which we'd love to do. So here was, you know, God coming to us, looking at this. We're, we're seeing him in, in person. So he, he's born a baby in Bethlehem, right, in a manger. And that's our Christmas story, okay? Now, why is that important? We're going to talk about that. So as it goes on, uh, John tells us john the baptist who was the first prophet of god national prophet since you know 400 years had passed and when john gave he gave testimony about jesus it says he was the one that paved the way if you will for him to come he proclaimed a repentance but a baptism by water Mm -hmm. for the repentance of sin He was preparing the people to hear what God had to say. God, in what way? The Messiah who came in the flesh. So the son who came, who was born to us, was the Messiah in the flesh. This is the first picture John gives us that's very, very important. And he talks about, you know, coming and calling disciples and uh, so forth and so on. In verse 29, if you look there, and we get another picture of Jesus. It says the next day, John, this is the John the Baptizer, saw uh, Jesus coming toward him, and he said, and this he was speaking to his own disciples, mm. "Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." I love this because that word "look" there is really our word "behold." You know, it's more than hey, look at that, right. or look at this. It's step back and really look at this behold this behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world what an odd way to address 
you know, or to give a title to Jesus. And he calls him, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. What do you think the apostles, who were his disciples at the moment, would have thought when he used that title? They're thinking, Lamb, that's a sacrifice. The Lamb of God right. well, they were very familiar with. Yeah. The lambs, what would they have to do? They'd have to sacrifice them for their sins. Yes. But it would cover them. And this, yeah, the statement is just so profound. I mean, it is very profound because when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that was revolutionary. That was crazy. What do you mean? Because when the Jews sacrificed a lamb, they understood that their sins weren't taken away, they were covered over. Blood had to be shed, the lamb's blood. But it wasn't enough to take away human sin because we're born with a sin nature. We sin. We hopefully are sorry for our sin. We stumble into sin mm -hmm. at times. We go and make sacrifice for sin, the Jews did. And then that sin is covered over. But what happens after they leave that sacrifice? They go and sin again, and now the sin is there. They and, have to do something else to try to cover that. Right. Now, the Bible tells us that there's a payment for sin. And what is it? Death. Death. So the wages that we should receive from sin, the payment that we should receive, because we earned it, right? We deserve it, is death. People say, well, wait, hang on. I'm a good person. Like, you know, and no doubt, a lot of good people. Now, when we say, you know what? That guy, salt of the earth, great guy. You know, that woman, oh, terrific lady. She's unbelievable. You know, I love being around her. She's just like, you, you, you're just filled with joy when you see her and, and hear from her. Right. When we compare ourselves, when we say we're a good person, we're comparing ourselves to other people who are not so good. And our comparisons are almost always to people that are not as good as we are because otherwise we wouldn't like the comparison. But the measuring stick is not other people. Our measuring stick is Jesus Christ himself. That's who we are measured against when it comes to eternal life, salvation. Can I make it into heaven? Well, growing up, I always believed, you know, and I was raised Roman Catholic, and I can't ever say that a priest said this, but I remember the priest that I, you know, like you, we would always believe when you get to the pearly gates, your way, your sin would be weighed out, be like a cosmic scale, if you will. And if your bad outweighed your good, you're done for. But we had an answer for that too. We suffer for a while and then get into heaven, maybe go to purgatory, whatever. That's not the, the you know, the way it works. Yeah, that's not the litmus test. No. And the measuring stick is Jesus. So the natural thing we should think then is, well, wait a minute. John goes on to talk more about this. But if Jesus is our measuring stick, then nobody measures up to him. That's exactly what God wants us to see. Because if we truly see that, then we realize that we can't make it into heaven. We are, we are not like Jesus. And... If we sinned once, we can never be like Jesus mm. in the sense of being perfect again. Can I can I do a million things good and it would wipe out the one bad thing? No, you still sin once.
Jesus never did. So, and we're going to come back to that because that tells us, and I'm going to plant this right now, we're in need of a savior. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? it's funny. People could be so disheartened by like, um, you know, when Isaiah says, you're a good deed, you're filthy rags compared to me. That's, you know, what God says. And like, well, people think, oh, I'm trying to do a good thing. But, and they get, they're almost like, in a way, like demoralized by the fact that, well, you know, here I am trying to do these good deeds. And what does it amount to? But really, I tell them, you know what? You should be thankful that you have someone, a savior who's perfect. Because you can't live up to that. It's too much pressure on you. You can't do it. No matter what you do, you can't do it. But in a way, that should be relieving to know that God cared enough that he that He brought himself down because he, he can and did. Exactly. And, and when people kind of take that in, it hits them a little bit different when they really bring it in it hits them a little bit different because then they realize like yeah it's not in your hands and that's the whole point yes and that goes against our our american way <laughs> our american way it goes against the grain like we're self-made people we yes. want wait a minute what do you mean i'm as good as the next guy well, you might industrious be. in a good way a lot of times yeah. but yeah listen there's a lot of good things we say about people right yeah yeah but there's two things to look at. One is entrance into heaven. The other is the comparison of how are you doing trying to follow God? Right. And some will do better than others. And some you'd say, you know, you think of Mother Teresa or Billy Graham and you think, oh, to be like them, you know, they surely can make it into heaven. No, both of them would tell you it's the Savior mm -hmm. that got me there. And that we're going to talk about, you know, more in the, you know, toward the end or maybe we'll have to do another session or something um anyway john says that that word became flesh and lived among us okay now if we go to chapter 2 well verse 35 let me just hit verse 35 too it says the next day so next day goes uh, you know john was talking to his disciples he calls jesus the lamb of god and john gives them this understanding he gives jesus a title that's the lamb of god now when I grew up in the Catholic Church, one of the parts of the Mass is the priest would get up and, you know, during the Eucharist, he would say, the Lamb of God. And, you know, he would say, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the people would respond, what? Have mercy on us. The priest would say the second time, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of us people would, would, Have would mercy respond, on us, yep. have mercy on us. Then a third time you'd say, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Grant us peace. Grant us peace. Grant us peace. What that tells us, now I'm going to give you another little inkling. We are not at peace with God from birth. Something has to happen to give to make us at peace with God. And that's going to be a sacrifice. Now, verse 35 says, next day John was there again with his two of his disciples when he saw jesus pass by he said look the lamb of god so again he calls him the lamb of god and john knows because john is a prophet he doesn't fully understand that jesus is going to die but he understands that he is the lamb he is the one he's been given this insight by god but not all the insight mm. he doesn't fully and that was the way it was with the prophets you know the prophets longed to look into the fulfillment mm -hmm. to see all the angles of what would be there anyway let's let's jump into chapter two real quick we have the first miracle immediately john interesting that john chooses this miracle it's 
Jesus goes to a wedding. What happens at a wedding? People are drinking and partying. And, sure, joy, yeah. celebration. Having a good time. The first picture we see of Jesus in social life is at this wedding. And obviously, it was a wedding that all of them knew the people getting married. Because he's there, his mother's there, could have been a close relative, it could have been, you know, uh, whoever. But Jesus is there, and they run out of wine. Now, just so you know, weddings aren't like they then, they weren't like they are now. This was a three to seven day ordeal. Mm. You would travel to come in, you'd be there, and it would be a lot going on. And what you did is, in the initial part of that wedding, you served the absolute best wine that you had. Then after people had, you know, a lot to eat and drink and so forth, then you could bring up the inferior stuff. <laughs> because now... Your taste buds are weaker. Yeah, your taste buds are weaker. It's like, I'll take anything at this point. You know, whatever it might be. But... So they go to this wedding, and they're in Cana, right, in Galilee, and they run out of wine. So verse 3 says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Jesus says, woman, which is a term of endearment, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. That's a very important phrase mm -hmm. that we're going to come to later. What is the hour that Jesus is referring to? Really, his, his death, his resurrection, the moment yes. of yes. really fulfilling Yes, the hour is not everything. a literal hour, right. right? But his moment, his time has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding between 20 and 30 gallons. So there's a, we're going to make a lot of wine here, mm -hmm. right? Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. That's the master of ceremonies, the one the that's... Day, yeah, right, yeah. the maitre day. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the wine they had, that had been turned to... Uh, sorry, tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said... Everyone brings out the best wine first, the choice wine, you know, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. It's a beautiful picture. This was intentional. This was something that God wanted us to see. Mm. All the time from the time God called Abraham to be a nation and started the Jewish nation, then gave the oracles, the, the word of God to the prophets each of the prophets that came was honored, and they knew we have the, the very words of God that came and came. And the, the servants would come, and each of the prophets was a servant. But God saved his best for last. And what was the best? Jesus. The Son of God himself, the one who came from heaven, the one who existed um, before he came to earth. He was the second member of the Trinity. He comes to earth. He walks among us. And, you know, the, here it is. Jesus is about to start his public ministry. And what happens? This miracle gets produced, and we get a picture. The best has now come. Why? Because Jesus would be the fulfillment mm -hmm. of all the prophets who came before him. He would be the, full, uh, sorry, the fulfillment of 
what Moses spoke about, the law. Moses actually said, a prophet will arise after me. Him you must listen to. He was speaking of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus would fulfill the law. He would live up to it. How did he fulfill it? He never sinned. He fulfilled the, he kept the law in its entirety. No human had ever done that. That's pretty powerful. This is the picture we're getting. Jesus is perfect. And people get confused because they think all the laws, they just think the Ten Commandments. Those were just 10. There was 623, right? Yeah. Including the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So, you know, that's a name 623 things that you can do and fulfill perfectly. No, I just nobody people, can. Let's use 10. Right. The Ten Commandments. Right, right. Tell me which, you know, you've never broken one of them? No one can say right. that. Right. Just those. Yeah. So we look at this and like, wow, but this isn't the entire picture. In fact, we're not going to cover the entire picture, but we go from this beautiful joy, you know, joyous occasion, everybody having a great time. The best wine comes out afterward, right? We go from that into verse 13. This is intentional. John is doing this and we're going to see Jesus at the other end of the spectrum. What happens here? We see anger come out. It was almost time for the Jewish Passover. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Um, which all Jews did that were over the age of 20, all males. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. <clears throat> it doesn't tell us why here, but we find it in other places. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all the people from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written. Zeal, passion is that word. Mm. Or your house will consume me. Zeal for God's house would consume him. Now, it's really important. We look and say, wait a minute. I can't picture Jesus or God being angry. Oh yeah. Sin angers God. What were his people doing? These are people that should have known better. They were, so many times people would have to come from up north. If they were, the temple was in Judea, in the south. If you could picture, if you want to picture something, picture Israel about the size of New Jersey. Mm -hmm. The northern part of New Jersey would be Galilee. Central Jersey where, you know, Cherry Hill and um, the, um, the uh what was it new brunswick and you know the the bridges that, that are there those are central jersey right that was samaria southern jersey was where the temple was and that would have been judea so down by vineland you know and okay. you know yep. in those places so you had these three distinct places and if you were coming for the passover three times a year you had to come and sacrifice and it, these were feasts of joyous occasions so they would come down but rather than drive your sheep that you were going to have to use for sacrifices you would sell your sheep your best you'd pick the best from your herd you'd sell it you'd take that money you'd walk then down and you'd go to the appropriate place and buy sheep now if you came from out of town this is what was going on if you were someone not local 
they had two different weights. They did everything by weight. Money was counted out by weight. So they had different stones they would use of different weights because they were making a profit off you. This was reprehensible to God. This was reprehensible. And the the doves, if you couldn't afford for certain sacrifices, sheep, right, a lamb, if you were poor, you would be allowed to offer turtle doves, right, and so forth. So these were, were selling these and making a profit on the religious services, the services that were supposed to be very solemn, very serious, uh, to understand that an animal was dying so that your sin could be covered. It was to remind us who we were before God. Mm -hmm. We weren't God. We weren't holy before God. And we weren't, you know, we, we had to come and we had to sacrifice. So Jesus comes in, sees all this, and his passion for God overtakes him in a good way. Mm -hmm. And he starts driving out the people. This happens a couple times in his ministry. He took the cords that were uh, of the drapery and he starts driving the people out and the animals out and just, and the religious leaders are seeing this, thinking what is going on? Now, why didn't the religious leaders stop this? They were making money off of it, some of them. They were turning a blind eye for sure, for some reason. And Jesus was just beside himself. You're making the sacrificial system. You're making the very sacrifice that's going to, you know, cover over your sin for the time so that you could continue on in your relationship with God. You're making, a, you know, a mockery of this. So we see this picture. So John is showing us this one who comes, who's filled with joy, who teaches through the, you know, turning the water to wine. And then... You see him angry and full of zeal and, and driving the people away, hoping to teach them a lesson, right? So beautiful picture. And we, we don't often see that picture. Now, John goes into a third picture. If you look at the next chapter, he comes across a religious leader. It's nighttime and this religious leader comes to him. He's no average religious leader. In fact, the Bible calls him the teacher of Israel. So he was a very prominent person. He was a Pharisee, one of the religious um, professors, if you will. On the ruling council. On the ruling council. Had his doctorate, if you will. Mm. Okay. And I love what it says here in, in the opening verse. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Now, before I even go even further, um, he represents a group of people because he's saying, we know that you are a man who has come from God. He also addresses him as Rabbi. Now, Jesus had no formal education. This was indeed a prestigious title. And why would Nicodemus, who was easily a rabbi and beyond, why would he address Jesus that way? Because he saw something. It says, we know that you are a man who's come from God. Why? 
for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. So there, Jesus caused a tumult that divided the council. And Nicodemus is coming at night, perhaps because he didn't want to address him during the day. Perhaps he wanted a private meeting, didn't want others to know. We don't know. But he comes to him at night in the cloak of darkness, and he calls him rabbi. Great respect, because he sees whatever mm -hmm. he's doing, God is with him, but he cannot figure out who he is. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This is where that phrase born again comes from. Um, among other places, there's a couple of places in the New Testament, and people think it's some people think it's a religion, some people think it's the crazies, you know, whatever. <laughs> that these are the Bible thumpers, you know, right, whatever right. it might be. The fact is, these are the words of Jesus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, now Nicodemus didn't ask a question yet, or ask something or at least we're not privy to it and he says truly no one can see the kingdom of god unless they are born again now nicodemus says well how can someone be born when they are old now people often think that nicodemus completely misunderstood what jesus was saying i don't believe he did the rabbis were well known for using analogy, mm. story, pictures, you know, using the common elements of everyday life, the birth of a child, the sowing seed in the field, fishing in the ocean, um, whatever it might be. He would give these word pictures, right? The vine and its branches. And we can go on and on about the pictures. So I think in this next line, Nicodemus is going along with the story because Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb, be born. So Jesus answers, very truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's water. Mm. And, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, that's the spirit. So think about when a woman gives birth. The water breaks, right? And the baby comes forth. What are we made up of? Mostly. A lot of water. Mostly water, 80-some percent. We're made up of water. So when we look at this, Jesus says, the physical birth, the one of water, that's an important birth. That brings you into this world. But that does not bring you into heaven. And in the first phrase, Jesus said to him, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In the second one, it says you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You cannot see it unless you're born again. You cannot enter it unless you're born not just of water, not just your physical birth, not just your fleshly birth, not just when you came from the womb. Everyone has that in common. Yeah. But only those that have a second birth, the spiritual birth, being born again of spirit. Only those people enter heaven. Oh, so this is kind of a exclusive club. Only those that are born again. Oh, so if I'm not born again, I can't get into heaven? That would be an accurate statement. However, that's not the full picture.
Jesus gives a much fuller picture. Who's invited, Mike? Everybody. Really? Everybody that wants to be born again. Well, why why wouldn't you want to be born again? Isn't that the question? Yeah. What, <laughs> what would some of the answers be? People people think, well, if I'm you know if I'm born again, I'm giving I'm giving up me. There's no me left. Like some I, people think that. Yeah. You know, and uh, other people sometimes they believe in only what they can see. Sometimes they have misunderstandings about what God expects. I've had people say. Oh, if I do that, then I'm going to sell everything I have and go to Africa and be a missionary, mm. right? I'm not going to do that. Or wait, what are you telling me? I, well, here's what I'm telling you. You got to follow God. Oh, so I got to be like a doormat. You know, when, when most people think, going back to that illustration earlier, you know, close your eyes and think about Jesus. Most of the descriptions I get picture a, a, a guy that's wimpy, a doormat, <laughs> someone who's like, are you kidding? I don't want to follow that guy. He's not my hero. That's because you don't understand the, right, the true right. Jesus. If you understood him, he's someone to follow. Yeah. Right? He was the only one that walked into his death. What happened to all his followers who were tough guys? A lot of them ran away at first. They ran away. And they hid. Not him. Yeah. He, he carried out his ideals, his beliefs to the very end. And so, and then, even when everybody deserted them, he received them back. Mm. He forgave them. You look at this, Jesus, and not the one that we picture, right? So Nicodemus is getting this, and he's saying, wow. Now, Jesus goes on, he said, flesh gives birth to flesh in verse 6, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So he says, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I love this because what what's the name of our podcast? Mostly unseen. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, the truth is mostly unseen. It's seen with spiritual eyes, mm. spiritual understanding, spiritual thinking, and you don't have to. It's not that you give up you. You become the true you. You you become when you become born again who God intended you to be. Right now, when you're born in your only flesh and blood and water, you are not everything God intended you to be. And if you don't become born again, you're settling for less. Mm -hmm. Now, all of us that have children or had children or whatever would say, don't settle. You don't settle for less. You, you, you achieve everything you can. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. You, you are born with a... God size hole in you that only God can fill. Mm. Mm. So when you try to live life Amen. without God, you're settling for much less and it never works. And we become miserable. We pursue things. We step on people to get there. We do all kinds of things. What we don't realize is all the things that we pursue in life today, you can't take with you when you die. Right. I saw this great commercial, or it wasn't a commercial, it was a comic strip, of um, a, a U-Haul. It was a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And it, it's funny, and everybody gets it. They didn't even need a caption. Because it's like, it's so funny, taking a U-Haul to the cemetery, right? Yeah, you can take it all with you. We'll bury it. You're not using it. No. But God tells us, Jesus tells us, 
You can't take anything from earth with you, but you can store up treasure in heaven by the way you live your life. When you become a Christian, when you're born again, your life truly becomes God's life because God now sits on the throne of your life. But that life will bring you into eternity where you will live and prosper. And, you know, again, another discussion, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, which is awesome. So Nicodemus, now I love this end part, and we're going to end with the, this thinking. Nicodemus says in verse 9, can this be? How can this be, Nicodemus asks. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Who's you people? The establishment. Mm -hmm. The ones that say, this is the way. Well, you don't know the way, but, but my disciples and I do. Everybody who hears my voice and understands what I'm saying, gets it. It doesn't matter your position. Right. You're on the ruling council. It doesn't matter, right? It, you know. And he says, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? This is the best part. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, mm. the son of man. Now, I have to explain this real quick. Another version reads, no one has ascended to heaven. Where do you see the word ascended used? What group of people use that word? Think about that for a second. Ascending. It's I, still I, used I was, yeah, usually I think of a stairwell or... You think um, of a stairway? But do we say, hey, I got to ascend the stairs? Or athletes will sometimes to ascend to a, a pinnacle of... Or, or mount, mountain climbers. Ah. Mountain climbers. Mountain climbers. They are, that's the lingo they use. You know, what am I going to do? I'm going to ascend the summit today. I'm going to ascend this. I'm going to ascend further. Mm. They use descend and ascend. This is the actual words Jesus is using. No one has ever climbed into heaven. No one has been good enough to get there. No one by their good deeds. Why was that important to the Jew? Because what would they do? They would be fastidious about following the law and you know doing the right sacrifice and saying the right things and never taking more steps on a sabbath than they should and always saying the right formula of prayer and never so everybody was you know following the law to the t the real righteous the self-righteous ones and jesus tells nicodemus who would have understood this truly as a pharisee he said no one has ever climbed there the only one that's done that is the one that came from there mm. The son of man. Who is that? Him. Himself. Jesus. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you cannot climb there by your good works. Nothing that you do can get you there. But you have to be born again. You have mm -hmm. to recognize. Well, what does it mean to be born again? Here's what it means. To recognize that you're a sinner. That you cannot get into heaven by the works that you do. And then hit your knees. And fall on your knees. Because when you realize that, the only way you can have eternal life is if God forgives you. The only way that that can happen is if you accept Christ, if you believe in him as Messiah. Why? Because truly he became the Lamb of God. He was the one that was sacrificed for our sins. He could come and go in and out of heaven. We cannot. Mm. But his sacrifice paid for our sin if we believe, our 
faith appropriates that sacrifice to our lives. And it's not just saying, okay, I'll take some of that. I want that. No. Because belief carries with it actions. If you believe the house is on fire, you're going to run out of the house. If you believe Jesus is the only way, then you're going to say, what does Jesus want from me? I want you to follow. And he wants to fill your life with all the things that you can't fill your life with. Amen. A lot more to say about that. Yeah. But I love it because that's what he says here. And then, you know, we'll pick up next time um, the next several verses. Um, but in verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only one, uh, his, only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We're going to talk about what true belief means next time. Because there's mental assent and there's a true believer. Mm. Right? In fact, we'll use that when we talk about people and say, you know, whatever they believe, oh, he's one of those true believers, sometimes negatively. Right? The terrorists, oh, they're a true believer. Right, right, right. Or whatever, they're a true believer. And so we want to talk and kind of unpack that. Yeah. Uh, at a future, you know, in maybe the next podcast. Um, but this is so powerful. John gives us a picture of Jesus. He's not done yet. We didn't finish. Right, We're right, just out right. of time. And he gives us a picture of, you know, God coming from heaven, being born as a man, a helpless one at that, a baby. And we'll talk more about oh, that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and when we think of this, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is crazy. Right might be it's crazy good amazing absolutely amazing. amazing no one could have dreamed this up right and yet i think we're going to find if we start looking at this and you're open-minded about it and and bring all your questions yeah oh, bring yeah. your science bring everything you will because god is not afraid of it right of right right so we're going to find that these things are more likely true than not yeah and i think that's exciting so any last thoughts on this? Yeah, just amazing. Even in just verse 3, Jesus, Nicodemus comes to see him. But Jesus, the way he answers what Nicodemus says, when he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, Nicodemus didn't really ask a question, but Jesus automatically knew what? that he had come there to see God. Though he didn't say anything, he was already explaining to him something that was on his mind, a conundrum that he had in, so his, Nicodemus, in his mind. So what you're saying is Nicodemus was a true seeker jesus saw the true need maybe didn't answer a question asked because mm -hmm. the question asked may not have been the right question right but jesus spoke to it and why was nicodemus then so like in verse six says how could this be because he got it he understood what jesus was saying how could this be and here's what he was probably looking at how could this be that i've worked my whole life I followed the law as best I could. And you're telling me now that that's not enough. No, it's not enough for anyone. Said so Nicodemus, his whole world just got turned upside down. But Jesus says, but you can make it in. And you can still be a great Pharisee. You could be a great teacher of God's law. But if you think that following the law is going to get you into heaven, no. You follow the law because you're going to go to heaven. Mm. Because you received Messiah. That's what we want to unpack in the next episode. Awesome. So we're going to leave it there, but let's, uh, let's pray. 
Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for the words that you spoke to us. Thank you for bringing a picture of Jesus that we did not have. And until we start looking at the people that walked with you on earth, we wouldn't have that picture. Thank you that Jesus was so multifaceted that he not only had joy and experienced joy and love to celebrate, but he also took faith serious. And he could become zealous and angry when, when people made a mockery of faith. Father, we thank you that you've invited us to be in eternity with you and that you provided the way that we could experience eternity and live with you for all eternity. So, Lord, tonight, we if there is someone listening that says, I want that, help them to realize it's not what they've done, it's what you've done. And that if we receive Christ by faith, that if we believe in Messiah, and that if we believe the words that he's spoken, and, and then start seeking and patterning our lives after him, that we too could experience eternal life. So if you're experiencing that tonight and want to ask that, simply pray these words. It's not the, the words that matter. It's I'm just going to give you words. It's the words in your own heart. And um, it's, Lord Jesus, I repent of the things I've done wrong. All the things that I could think of, and I'm sure there's so many others. Father, take those things away from me. Cleanse me from my sin. Separate my sin from me as only the Lamb of God can. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk in the newness of life, that born-again life, that spirit life, the spirit-filled life. Help me to come to know you so that I might come to be with you when I leave this earth, when I die, or when you come back, whatever it might be. But forgive me, Lord, and give me the Holy Spirit to live within me and help me to walk all of the rest of my days in the, in the likeness of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so that's it for this episode, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.